Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Matthew 4, 12 through 25. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, and on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the uh, Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. All right, family, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to be in your presence this morning and grateful to be gathered today. We pray for all of our family, those who are here and those who are not, just that we would uh, be able to pursue you with great intensity and passion and zeal And that today as we sit in this time and we sit in this text, would you just deepen our understanding of who you are, how you work, what you want. We just pray that you would remove any barrier and that you would speak to every heart. So many people in this room, we come from different places, different experiences, different things in the week. And we know your spirit is able to speak to every heart, every soul, right where they're at. And we just pray that by your grace, you would do that today. We know we will be better for it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You guys can be seated. All right, man. Family, we're doing this. Man, I don't know how to apparently start a live feed on Facebook. Does that tell you how old I am or what? So this is not streaming, so we can say whatever we want today. Isn't that incredible? Man, that's awesome. However, we are recording it, so I'm assuming it will get up there. When I started preaching, hey, listen, there was none of this live feed anything. You didn't have to worry about all that. Now you got to worry about what your ugly mug looks like on Facebook. And so that's a little scary for me. Hey, did anybody remember old enough to remember? I guess you really don't have to be old enough because it's still a little bit around. Anybody remember the bracelets that you had that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Anybody wear one? How many of you wore more than one? How many of you were that cool? Okay, we got some honest people in the church this morning. Most honest people don't come to church, so I appreciate that, right? So that's incredible. I had those, what would Jesus do? And I think that's a pretty good sentiment, but I think one of the things that happened when all that kind of happened and it kind of became pretty popular to ask that question, what would Jesus do? We really actually forgot to look at what he actually did. Right, So what we would say was, what would Jesus do in this moment? And we wanted to determine that and figure that out with going back to the scriptures and looking at what he did in that moment. 
right? So we wanna, we wanna know what would Jesus do in this moment, and I think that's a great question to ask. I think it's very profound, actually, and practical and powerful and all of those things, but I think you will always come to an inadequate conclusion if you don't look at what Jesus did to determine what Jesus would do. Okay? Do you want to kind of understand his pattern of life, the way he lived, the things he did, the ways that he taught, the things that he thought about in his heart and in his mind? And so what Matthew does in the text that Brother Chad read for us today, um, Matthew kind of gives us this overview of what's going to happen now. So we've kind of, you remember last week we came out of this battle with the desert, uh, or battle in the desert with Satan, right? And that was big, that was intense, that was powerful, all of those things. And so, um, Here's the reality. Not every day, even in the life of Jesus, is toe-to-toe with Satan, right? Some days are just normal, right? They're just normal days. And the beautiful thing about our Savior is this, is he doesn't just live and move and have his being as our redeeming king in the big moments where he, we need him to. He also is that in all of the ordinary day-to-day stuff and mess of life, Okay. And so what happens is Mark kind of gives us this overview. Now I want you to look down at verse 23 with me real quick. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the what? The gospel of the kingdom. Hang on to that one. Put that one in your pocket, right? So he went everywhere, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction among the people. Now hold your finger right there and go over to Matthew chapter 9. I love to hear those pages turning, man. Love it, love it. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, it doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love you. It's okay, you can scroll, you can zoom, whatever you wanna do. Matthew chapter nine, verse 35, says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Did you notice something? It's the exact same thing that Matthew says in chapter four. And so here's what happens. Over the next couple of chapters, Matthew is gonna break this out. He's going to show us Jesus going through the synagogues and teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's going to show us Jesus healing every manner of sickness and disease, the paralytics and all of these things. And so what you have here, is you ever heard that phrase, tell them what you're gonna tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them? Anybody ever heard that or they just tell preachers that, right? And so here's what Matthew's doing. Matthew is telling us what's about to happen. And so he's gonna spin Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven and he's gonna show us Jesus teaching the things of the kingdom of God, right? That's, that's the instruction. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody's heard the Sermon on the Mount. Nathan's gonna get into that next week. He's gonna start in Matthew chapter five. But so here's what's happening in this, okay? Matthew is telling us that, hey, Jesus is do. this is what Jesus does. This is what his life looks like. Think about anybody you could ever spend days with, right? You could just go hang out with him. You could watch him. You could shadow him. You could follow him around. If you were to follow Jesus around in this century, in that context, what you would find him doing is you would find him preaching the kingdom of God. You would find him instructing the kingdom of God. You would find him healing every manner of sickness and disease and illness and standing for the broken and the oppressed. You would find him teaching and calling men to follow him. You would find him calling men to repent. And so what I want to do is I just kind of walk you through this. This, And I'll tell you this, I I kind of worry about this because, you know, the temptation of Christ is all exciting and it's big and it's fireworks and all that kind of stuff. And this is just normal life. 
There may not be anything super huge, but I do think there are things in this that are equally profitable for us. So I want you to go to verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, and I want you to see this because everything is going to hinge on this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from this time, that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Matthew sees all of this, and it kind of he unpacks it in verses 12 through 16, that, that Matthew is seeing the fulfillment of prophecies that were given through the prophet Isaiah, okay, about where Jesus would come from and what Jesus would do, and he would come to this land of Galilee. The land of Galilee was heavily populated by Gentiles at this time. And so we kind of have this understanding that Jesus' ministry was primarily to the Jewish people. And that's kind of true, but it's not only true. It's also the fact that he was working with Gentile people as well. And this was a heavily populated area of Jew and Gentile in Capernaum, which is where he lands. That's where Peter's... Peter lives, that's where Matthew lives, all these guys kind of live there, and so Jesus does some ministry here by the sea uh, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, Um, and notice what it says in verse number 15. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the what? Of the Gentiles, right? And so he says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Here's Here's what Matthew is seeing unfolding. Matthew is seeing the light of the world. Not just the light of the Jews, the light of the world is now beginning to break into every corner and every pocket of darkness. Every pocket of human darkness now the king is now beginning to enter into. And this is huge, okay? So if you could sum up what Jesus talked about, like if you could just pick what you thought Jesus was always talking about, what would you say? Somebody just throw out something. What did Jesus preach all the time? Caught you on a, you know, no. what'd you say? Forgiveness? Okay, what else? Kingdom? Cheater. What else? Now nobody wants to say anything, right? Love your neighbor? Love, right? All those things are true, right? Jesus, who said Jesus? You guys, you can't, we have no space for people like that. No cutting up in church, man. This is serious business. I'm just kidding, we cut up here, okay? Um, If you were really, and all of these things are true, Jesus talks about forgiveness, he talks about love, Um, Jacob is a cheater. What Jesus talked about most is the kingdom of God. Um, Over 50 times in the book of Matthew, and depending on which version you read, that's one and a half times per page, Jesus says something about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty big deal, right? Have you noticed that Jesus talked a whole lot about the kingdom of God and we don't talk about it very much at all? When's the last time you heard a sermon on the kingdom of God? I don't have time to get to preach a sermon on the kingdom of God today. Just don't get that. Nathan gets that, so we'll leave that for him. But what I need you to understand is that when Jesus comes on the scene and he preaches this message in verse 17, he began to preach proclaiming this. He's saying, listen, this is a reality that you now need to respond to, and this reality demands your response, okay? And that reality is this, is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's near, or it's present. And the word kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God will be used interchangeably. Some people think that those are two separate things, and we can argue about all that later. We're just going to pretend that my opinion's right. Got it? Okay. I believe they're the same thing, and it's just a different use of the word, okay? And there's a whole lot of reasons for that, but we don't have time to do that. So this kingdom of God thing is huge, but what you need to understand is this, is that everything Jesus did flowed from his understanding that the kingdom of God is present now. Okay, so this is really, really weird. So I need to just give you kind of just an overview. We don't have time to talk about it all. The kingdom of God is a biblical storyline that runs from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And it doesn't change. 
Okay, so it is about God ruling over his creation and in the hearts of his people. Okay, that's what it means. But it is from start to finish. It's preached before the Israelite nation was ever formed. It's preached as the Israelite nation is formed. It's preached by Jesus. It's preached by the apostles. We don't make, make sense of it much because we read too fast. But in the book of Acts, it's the kingdom of God that they preach. Paul is actually left in Rome and, and at the end of Acts where it closes. And it says that Paul stayed there preaching the kingdom of God. Even you get on into some of the letters and he talks about the kingdom. This is a big deal. The kingdom of God is a huge deal. Now, we're Americans don't necessarily understand what all that is. So let me just give you a big kind of step out um, time frame of scripture, okay? So God creates Adam and Eve, right? Everybody with me so far? Okay. And he gives them the ability to rule. Rule is what kings do. We don't say king's king, right? Because we don't make it a verb. What you say is they rule. So um, our brother pilot, Chris, is a pilot. We, he's a flyer, but we don't call him a flyer. We call him a pilot. I think we should call him a flyer, though. I think, as a matter of fact, every now and then, you should just walk up to Chris with finger guns and everything and go, hey, flyer, what's up, buddy? I think you should do that from now on, okay? Please, somebody do that, right? Hey, flyer, woo, okay? Um, flying is what he does, Right? So a king, what a king does is he rules, okay? And so what God does when he creates Adam and Eve is he gives them the authority to rule over his creation. But they only get to do that so long as they submit to the Father's rule. So long as he gets to define what is right and what is wrong, and they submit to that, they obey that, they follow that, they get to rule over this perfect creation. We know how the story goes, right? They didn't do so well. They rebelled. They fought against him. They chose their own way. They refused to take his counsel and his wisdom, and they refused to be obedient. And so what they did is they fall, right? Humanity falls. Now Satan, okay, you got man ruling over a perfect creation. Now Satan rules over an imperfect creation. The Bible says he's the prince of this age. He's the, he's the ruler of this world, right? And I know God is sovereign, and this doesn't take away anything from God's sovereignty. We can explain all that later. I really don't have time to just unpack all of the questions and nuance. So please, nobody bought me coffee last week, okay? If you want to talk about this, buy me coffee, and I'll tell you everything I know in 30 minutes or less, okay? So, I mean, I'll even take 30 minutes. So you got humanity ruling over a perfect creation. Now you've got Satan ruling over an imperfect creation, you ever heard of this thing called the millennial kingdom? Now, this is where everybody kind of disagrees. And again, nobody else is here to defend their position, so we're going to believe that mine is right, okay? I kind of believe that Jesus then is going to rule over an imperfect world, okay? So you got humanity ruling over a perfect world. you got Satan ruling over an imperfect world. Then Satan is bound, and Jesus rules over an imperfect world. Now, hang on. Here we go. And then eventually, he creates a new what? New heaven and a new earth, and God and Jesus rule over a perfect earth. You see the storyline? Okay, so this kingdom runs from the Old Testament all the way through, and here's what it means. It's just basically a way of saying that God's rule is here. 
that what would it look like? Have you ever thought about this? What would it look like if nature and everything, people, my heart, my feelings, my soul, my spirit, all of that, what if that instinctively bowed to the will of God and there was no rebellion and there was no resistance and there was no fight in me, but I wanted to do the will of God. Like there was just that part of me that like, listen, like nature and wind and the seas obey him and I obey him just like that. That's what the kingdom of God means. It means that his rule is active now. It's here and, it, and what Jesus says when he says that it's at hand is he's telling us that this is now breaking in in this entirely new way. That this ruling over God's people, his ruling over creation, his redemptive reign is now breaking in. He's exerting his rule in a new way like he's never done before. He's dealing with sin like he's never done before. He's redeeming people like he's never done before. He's delivering, restoring, bringing peace, bringing justice like never before. And when the fishermen on the seas of Galilee hear Jesus come preaching the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand. Every last ounce of their hope is hanging on this. It's, it's like saying this, hey, everything that you've ever longed for is about to be fulfilled. It's about to come true. I mean, there's gonna be no more pain, no more hurt, no more sorrow, no more regret. These eyes will never shed a tear. This body will never crack again. It won't break again. It won't hurt again. My heart won't hurt again. All of the hopes of the world are wrapped up in this kingdom of God. And Jesus steps on the scene and he says, hey, it's here. It's here now. But he also does this thing that's weird because Jesus, listen, this isn't taking anything away from him, but Jesus does some weird stuff, right? He says it's here, but he also says it's not fully here. Again, I don't get to teach all of this. Nathan will do this. But Jesus will tell us to seek the kingdom of God above all other things. He will tell us to pray for the kingdom to come like it is on earth as it is in heaven. He will tell you that it's like a mustard seed. That it, he will tell you that it's the treasure worth giving up everything else for. He will tell you all kinds of things about the kingdom. But one of the things that he will tell you is that it is present, but it is not fully consummated. So how many of you know this? That we still live in a broken world. I mean, it's just ravaged by brokenness. I mean, it's brokenness in me, it's brokenness outside of me, and every day I am confronted with the reality that this world is not as it should be, right? That's the not yet aspect of the kingdom of God, because there's coming a day when God will make all of these things right, like everything right. This is hard to believe because I'm so used to seeing everything wrong, but when Jesus talks about bringing the kingdom of God, what he's saying is, hey, listen, I have started the process and it's a process, but I've started the process of making all things entirely new. Not some things, not a few things, not church things, not the theological things. I'm making everything new. There is not a part of humanity, of the world, of creation that my rule and reign does not enter into. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, it's here. Everything you've longed for, waited for, put your hope in. It's here now, the rule and reign of God. When everything acts as it should be, as the creator intended it to be. So the preacher doesn't feel like that yet because it is here, but it's not fully consummated, okay? But it is coming. Oh man, it's coming. And I get a little, I get, man, I get, I get like it, like the feels, right? I told you before, I have a problem with feelings. I didn't even know we could feel like till about 10 years ago. And I definitely didn't know we were supposed to process them. I thought we were men and we just, right? Tim Allen kind of stuff, right? That's what I thought we did. And now I'm like coming to reality that I have feelings and stuff. And that's weird, man. It's really, really weird. But I will tell you this, man, that when God brings, he's, here's what his kingdom means. He is making all things right. And they are so wrong right now. So broken. 
The depth of the brokenness is so deep. And what Jesus says when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand is he's saying this, hey, buddy, it started. I started it. So here, let me give you just real one summary statement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand because the king of heaven is here. Okay, so for all we could talk about about the kingdom, here's what you need to understand. Jesus is telling us that because the kingdom, the king is here, the kingdom is here. So now, watch what he does here. This is really important, and we'll walk through these fast. You come down to verse number 23, and he goes into their synagogues in Galilee. He went through all Galilee, and what does he do? He teaches, Right? He teaches, and depending on your version of the scriptures, it says teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming. Some of yours might say teaching and preaching. Preaching is kind of this thing, at least in this context, of we're stating realities with conviction, and we want you to buy that. We want you to buy into that, okay? And teaching is explaining why these realities are true, right? So you're stating realities, and then you're explaining what is true. And so one of the biggest things that Jesus did while he was alive and while he was on earth was teaching people. Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest recorded sermon. You can read it through really fast. You probably should do that before Nathan starts preaching on it next week. It'd be good for you to come in and go, hey man, I heard that before. I was reading that, right? And so what he's going to do now, Jesus is going to begin to teach the kingdom of God. He's going to teach a new way of living and it's going to flow out of this reality that the kingdom of God is here and the king is here. And because the kingdom of God is here and the king is here, we now are called to live a whole entirely new way of life. And here's, here's the reality. That the way of living after Jesus and following Jesus is so incredibly different from anything you and I know that requires a lot of teaching for us to be able to learn how to do it, okay? So Jesus is going to spend a lot of his time because it's not our default, right? The way of Jesus, please hear me, we don't default to the way of Jesus. Anybody know this? I mean, I default to the way of Kevin. I hope you don't. That would be bad for you, okay? Okay. My kids are looking at me like, yep, we do. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Um, I default to me. I don't default to Christ-like. And so think about this. Jesus moves through his whole life. And if you read the Gospels closely, you will notice that he lived a hectic life. It was always moving. People were always coming to him. Things, you ever felt like you just running from one end to the other and you never stop? Anybody? Like, or you don't have that life. If you don't have that life, we really don't like you. I mean, I'm just kidding, right? I just, this reality, I feel like I'm always going and there's never an end to it. Jesus lived that life, but he never seems rushed. He's always calm. He's always patient. He's never put out by it. That's Jesus. Kevin is like, man, I'm pulling my hair out. This, this is just a crazy, hectic life. And so what Jesus has to do is because his kingdom is so entirely different and his rule and his reign look so entirely other than anything we've ever known is that Jesus has to do a lot of teaching for us to get it and to understand it. Please hear me, dear followers of Jesus. If you are not learning from Jesus, then we're not doing it right. We must be learners. We must be constantly learning at the feet of Jesus because we don't default to the right way. We default to the wrong way, and so it is incredibly important. Jesus is teaching throughout his ministry. Where do you get your input? Right? We get all kinds of input, right? Coming from a thousand different places. Do you get your input on what is healthy, on what is true, on what is good? Do you get that from Jesus? I'm a, I'm a social media guy. I, don't, I have one account. I have the old person's account. I have Facebook, right? That's for old people. I don't do Instagram because I don't like pictures. 
I do like pictures. I just don't like my pictures. I like everybody else's pictures. But do you understand that's input? Like, and I have to take a break. And I'm not telling you what to do with your social media. But social media doesn't come on most Sundays for me. And the reason why that is is because I have to counter that input because it is so subtle and I don't realize how subtle it is, but it's input. And I need a better input because I'm not defaulting to this. So I need better input. And so what we say is when Jesus went about teaching and preaching, what we're saying is this, hey, listen, if you really want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to be a learner. You're going to have to sit at his feet and learn from him. You're going to have to get in his word and learn from him. All of these things are true. Notice what else he does here in verse 23. And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction of the, among the people. Why did Jesus heal people? Somebody shout out an answer. For his glory? Sarah over here quoting John chapter 9 in business, okay? Church people. Okay. Anybody else? Signs and miracles were a way that he proved himself to be who he said he was. He says, you don't believe me? Believe the works that I did. Okay? So there was evidence, and what the authors of the Gospels do is they show Jesus having authority over everything. Like he can do and reverse every effect of the fall. So when we fell, right, when sin entered into the world, we had this problem with creation, right? Everybody remember the story of Jesus walking on the water? So one of the reasons why he does that is to show us that he has rule and authority even over nature because we broke that, right? Our bodies and the diseases and the things that they face and, and, and experience, Jesus heals those because that's part of the fall. And so what the authors of the gospels do is they walk us through the life of Jesus and they show us that he healed people of every manner of disease. I mean, he's casting out demons. I mean, he's raising the dead. He's raising paralytics, people who are having seizures, all of these kinds of things. And Jesus is doing this and he's doing it for a couple of reasons. And one of them is for the glory of God. One of them is so that you know that he is who he says he is. So I've been telling you guys for a long time that I was really good at basketball, right? I have told that story so long now, I don't know if I really was or I just believe it in my own head at this point, right? Here's the reality. I'm not going to show you, so we will never know. At this point, I'm not going to show you. There's no evidence for this anymore. I'm not, we're not going out. We're not going to prove it. You know that stage when you're a young man and you just got to prove everything? I'm done. I ain't got to prove nothing anymore. Nothing. I'm just, I'm done with proving stuff. So you either believe that I was, listen, there needs to be some evidence, right? And so Jesus would heal people because it was evidence that he was who he said he was. But if you only understand the miracles of Jesus as the evidence of his deity, and you miss the fact that they were also the mercy of his heart. You know why a lot of times Matthew will say this, Jesus moved with compassion, healed the man, and he touched the leper. All these kind of, you know, you know why Jesus healed people? Because he loved people. He loved broken and hurt and desperate and ugly and sinful and messed up people. That's what he did. And so this healing, yes, it's proof of his deity, but it's also proof of his mercy. And it shows us the kindness and the, and the character of God in doing that. And I love this because, listen, the brokenness of humanity didn't push him away. It pulled him in. Do you understand that to be living after Jesus is not to be pushed away by the brokenness of humanity? It is to be pulled in. 
This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so Jesus went through and he was teaching and he was healing and he was doing all these things. We got to move fast, but look up here in verse 18. While he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother. Um, they were casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with, uh, with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets and he called them and immediately they left the boat and after their father, and left their father and followed him. So here's what this is, okay? This is Jesus now calling his disciples, okay? So Jesus is not only teaching the things of the kingdom of God, he is also healing diseases. And what he's also doing is he's forming this new group of people. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This isn't James and John and Peter and Andrew's first encounter with Jesus. So it kind of seems abrupt, right? It kind of seems radical. Like Jesus just shows up one one day like he owns the place, right? He owns the place, right? And so he shows up and he calls them to follow him and they follow him. But the reality is, if you really kind of put the gospels together, John chapter two through John chapter four kind of happen in between. Uh, the temptation of Christ and what we're reading here. And so there's some things that go on. These guys have met Jesus before, but at this point, Jesus calls them into a life of apprenticeship. Do you know what apprenticeship is? It means that you join yourself to another human being to find out how to do what they do, to be like them, okay? It's probably the oldest form of education that there was. So it basically worked like this, and this is a little simplification, but it's, it's easy to help me think about things. So, and an apprentice, the rabbi or the teacher would bring an apprentice under him and he would say, I'm going to do, you watch. I'm going to do, you help. You're going to do, I'm going to help. You do and I watch. Everybody follow that? So Brother Charles Hines, he was a deacon in the church that I pastored in Texas, the coolest man ever, had the biggest ears you've ever seen. Like a windy day in Oklahoma, you'd lose the guy. But he was, uh, he was like 60-something, he knows it. He's, I'm not telling anything he doesn't know. Um, he's, he's probably in his mid-70s now, but he is the most skilled carpenter in the world. Like he's just one of those guys that everything he does is phenomenal. And I just, and I, I loved it. And so he would let me work with him, and I'm not a carpenter. Matter of fact, I'm awful at it. I, really, I can cut a crooked line with a straight edge. That's how good I am. And I would just, like I would watch Brother Charles. I would watch it. Like I bought the same kind of tools he had. I had the same kind of tool belt he had. I held my mouth the same way that he held his mouth. I meant everything. He was missing a couple of fingers. I thought about cutting off a few of my fingers. This is what apprenticeship is, right? It is to unite yourself to somebody and to pattern your life after theirs so that you can become like they are so that you can do what they do. So when Jesus looks at Peter and Andrew and James and John and he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, he tells them up front, hey, unite yourself to me Pattern your life just after me and do your life exactly the way that I do my life. And you're going to do the things that I do. Okay? This is discipleship. This is apprenticeship. And this kind of gets lost on American Christians. But we are supposed to be following Jesus, not just in the big stuff, but in the lifestyle, the way of life. What that means is this, is that if he prayed, I pray. If he was in the scripture, I'm in the scripture. If he fasted, I fast. If he ministered to the broken and the needy, I minister to the broken and the needy. If he rested, I rest. And so what we do is we look at him and we say, I'm going to pattern my life after Jesus so that I can become like Jesus. 
so that my character and my inner inner disposition becomes more like him, right? And so I follow him and I pattern my life and I develop the same habits that he had. Why? Because habits shape your heart. Do you know that? There's a whole good theology here, but what you do produces who you are. So let me just lay it out this way. Where you are right now, and there are not, this is not a blanket statement. There are things to be considered into this, and I don't want to, I don't want to give the wrong impression. But your life is now, at least to some degree, a result of the habits and patterns of your life up to this point. So it is perfectly designed to get out of it what you get out of it. So if it's not getting out what you want to get out of it, then what you do is you have to change the habits and the patterns and the rhythms, okay? And so what Jesus was inviting them to is he was saying, hey, follow me, pattern your life after me, do what I do, think like I think, become like I am, and then you will bear fruit like I bear fruit. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's forming this people group, and it's really incredible because what he's doing is he says, hey, man, the kingdom of God is here, and I'm going to make this kingdom visible inside of a people. I'm going to bring crazy people together. You ever thought about the first guys that followed Jesus? They were prejudiced, they were hostile, they were jealous of one another, they were slow to believe, they were even slower to understand. I mean, these guys were ragtag, they weren't, the, they weren't the cream of the crop. I mean, they just weren't. They were just normal, everyday people, broken like you and I. And Jesus calls them, and he makes them the foundation of his church, and he, and he invites them to follow him and pattern their life after him. And I think this is something missing on us. We don't pattern our life after Jesus, but we want to live like Jesus. So I work with, I'm an estimator. I estimate athletic flooring. Here's the problem with that. I'm horrible with numbers. I'm like awful with numbers. I'm not only awful with numbers, but I transpose letters and numbers a lot. Anybody else do this? Like there's a big difference between 3,395 feet and 3,933 feet right? I swap numbers and I swap letters for all my dyslexic people. Hey, I'm with you, bro. Um, I do this, right? And I don't do it intentionally. And so here's what happens. I don't want to do that because that's bad for business, right? So what I have to do is I have to develop some rhythms and some habits to keep me from doing that because I'm not going to do it by default. Because Jesus' way is so entirely other, we have to literally pattern our lives around him if we want to live like him. Here's the reality. Jesus not only shows us what it means to be God, he also shows us what it means to be human. He gives us a new template of a new way of living, and we're to pattern our life after him. And if that's been lost somewhere in the muck, then I want to just remind you today that Jesus calls people and he forms this new people group to pattern the entirety of their life around him that everything is now reoriented underneath his rule, which kind of brings me to this last point. So back up in verse 17, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is hand, but he calls for a specific response. What's he say? Repent. Now that's a hard word, right? Does repentance mean that you no longer sin? No. Not if, I don't think so. <laughs> if it does, then I'm not doing it right, okay? Um, repentance means to reorient your life. It means it's a change of direction. Okay, so if I was going this way, repentance means that I stop going this way and I start going this way. 
And anytime the gospel of the kingdom is preached, repentance and usually faith is added to it by Mark, okay, because they're two sides of the same coin. They're, you can get into and parse them out. It's kind of difficult. But reality is that repentance is turning from something and faith is turning to something. And what Jesus says is this. Hey, man, the kingdom of God is here. I am the king and the inbreaking of the rule and reign of God is now a present reality, even though it's yet to be fully consummated. It is fully present. It's here and it's here in me and I'm here. And because I'm here, you need to reorient your life entirely, all of it, every last ounce, your value system, your family, your job, your thoughts, your mental capacity, all of it, you are to reorient it underneath the rule and the reign of me as king. There is no part left out of what Jesus says. He is calling for this, and this is huge, man. He's calling us not to make a decision about heaven. This is where I think we've got some things wrong. We've called a lot of people to make a decision about heaven, and we've confused them. Because the decision is not about heaven. The decision is about a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the king. And he is ushering in a new kingdom when all things will be made right. And he's making all things right so that we can live with him again. And if you get the king wrong and you don't respond to the king right, then you you have a problem with the kingdom. Okay? And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, listen, the kingdom is here. And what that demands is that demands for you to reorient all of your life underneath the rule and the reign of the king. He's not calling for church attendance. I'm glad you're here, by the way. He's not following this, calling for this casual commitment. Like in, in the last verse of this chapter, all the multitudes followed him, but they really start to bail in a couple of other chapters, right? And so it's not really a complete reorientation of their life underneath his rule. They liked what he could do for them. Let me say that one more time. They liked what Jesus could do for them more than they liked Jesus himself. And I will tell you this. That will never pan out. I know one preacher who says it like this, Jesus cannot be a hobby. He won't allow for that. So if you try to follow Jesus sporadically and by pieces, you will always feel that rub against the grain of your heart because you weren't meant for that. You were meant to bring every ounce of your being underneath the rule and the reign of God. To repent, to say, you know what? I don't know what's healthy. I don't know what's right. I need help. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need a leader. I need a pattern. I need a way of life. I need Jesus. If you don't understand this, that he is bringing in this kingdom and it is literally going to make all things new and that the only way that you and I can be a part of this kingdom is if we respond to the king properly. That's it. It's all about the king. So here's how we land this plane. Today, you've walked in here with a thousand different things on your plate. And what Matthew is telling us is he's telling us that there is a new reality. And that reality is this, is that Jesus is king and he's making all things new. All things. Not just you, though he is making us new, right? He's making all things new. Okay? And here's where we fall today. You either A, believe that. I'll get to you in a second. You don't believe that. Or you're not sure if you believe that. Hey, can I ask you to do something? If you're not sure that you believe that Jesus is king, I'm okay with that. But 
at least press into it and investigate. Because you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to investigate to see if he is right. You owe it to yourself to follow his teachings over the next couple of weeks and see if it's better, like he says it is better. You owe it to yourself because here's the reality. If what he is saying is true, and I know this is not a great point of logic, but here, here, this is reality though. If what Jesus is saying, that he is the king and he's making all things new and you being a part of the kingdom demands on your, depends on your response to the king, then if he is, what he is saying is true, then you can't afford to be wrong. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. And so what I'm asking is this, is if you don't know or aren't certain that you want to know, press in, lean in, investigate, and you can't do it casually. If you investigate Jesus casually, you will always find him to be lacking. But I tell you, friend, that there's been nobody who's pressed in hard and not found him beautiful. So if that's you, that's fine. I love you. Pray for you, but press in. Don't ease up. But hey, man, listen, most of you in here believe that this is true. Most of you in this room believe that Jesus is the king and that he is going to make all things new. If that is true, then my friend, that calls for like, that doesn't call for church attendance. That calls for a radical way of living that I constantly go to him for my input, that I'm constantly looking to him to tell me what is right, what is good, what is healthy, what is true. It means that I'm patterning my life after his pattern. It means I'm doing the things that he did. It means I'm submitting to his lordship. It means I'm following his lead. All of these things, it is, listen, it is not accidental. Following Jesus requires for you to be fully involved. And if he is the king, if he is the king, then he demands nothing short of allegiance and loyalty. But now, he says he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The word gospel means good news. Do you know what it is the best news ever to have Jesus rule your life? I mean, I'm just gonna tell you like it is. I've been practicing this ruling my life thing for 43 years, and I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. I need a better way. I can tell you spot after spot after spot after horrible spot that I need a better way because my way isn't it. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am broken to the core and need a redeemer. And Jesus steps in and he says, the kingdom of heaven is here because I am here. Let's stand together. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, you are good and gracious, and we pray that you would just help us to understand what it is that we need to understand today, that you would help us to feel what it is that we need to feel today, that you would help us to do what it is that we need to do today. Draw us into your presence even now. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.